Welcome to NJSBA Sidebar. I'm Kate Cuscarelli, host of the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am really excited to tell you about today's guest. It is Camelia M. Valdez. She has been the um, Passaic County Prosecutor for a decade. She is the second longest serving prosecutor in New Jersey, and she is the first Latina prosecutor um, in the state. She's phenomenal. I think you're going to enjoy listening to what she has to talk about. She's got, um, just to give you a sense of it, her she has a staff of about 200 attorneys, detectives, um, people who work with witnesses and other staff. Um, they uh, office oversees 16 different municipal police departments as well as the police departments of William Patterson and Montclair State University. She's a Newark native. She um, started her job, her, her work as a prosecutor straight out of law school. She's been a municipal prosecutor in Newark. She's uh, been a DAG and she was an AUSA in Newark. Um, she's really got a lot of interesting things to say in particular about the role of community in Involvement in addressing bias incidents, gang activity, and opioid abuse. Um, she's really tried to focus the office on the idea of being proactive and making connections with different community whole stakeholders before an incident happens. Um, so I hope you stick around. Please listen in. She's uh, lovely. She's dynamic. She's interesting. She's engaging. So without any further ado, let's talk to Camelia Valdez. Hi, prosecutor. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. My pleasure. So let's dive in. Yes. We have a lot to talk about, and yes. you are a busy woman. Yes. So let's mm-hmm. do this. So first, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, I've shared with our listeners your fabulous biography and all of your achievements, but so tell me a little bit about your personal path to the law. Why did you pursue a career in the law? Okay. So I pursued a career in the law because it, to me it was natural. I was a natural progression. As an uh, immigrant child, I am the oldest of three daughters and I grew up translating documents and really helping other, other new families through our country navigate our system. So the role of advocate came very early. So I was looking for a career that would allow me to, to serve the public that way. And so criminal, and, and because I am from Newark, um, I I was surrounded by good, really good people that sometimes did bad things. So criminal justice was was natural fit for me. Yeah, that must have been a lot to have to absorb as as a kid the mm-hmm. task of mm-hmm. translating and helping people navigate the systems. Absolutely, that and that, but that's not an uncommon experience no. for for immigrant children who have um, dominion over the language. Yes. they're really translating for their parents just new systems and yeah. so it's important in, in the in our court work whenever we are entering courtrooms when we see children um, that are playing the role of interpreter it's important for us as advocates as prosecutors as defense attorneys to really pay attention to make sure that that burden is not put on the child so you started out in um you walk us through a little bit of where you started out. Okay, yeah. so I um, first legal job out of law school. I was a Newark municipal prosecutor yeah. because I am from Newark and love Newark. I wanted to be able to serve my city. Yeah, and so I started off. I didn't clerk, which sometimes I wonder whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. But I think it's worked out in the end. 
But I was sworn in as an attorney on Friday, and Monday I was in court. Oh, my gosh. So in Newark Municipal Court, then and now, is the busiest in the state. So I was able to get on my feet and try cases almost immediately. Yeah. And and it was was very fulfilling. It's why um, I I pursued being a prosecutor in the first place, because I I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer, Mm -hmm. and I knew I wanted to be on my feet. Mm -hmm. So there... Why? Why did you want to be on your feet? Because I'm fabulous. (laughs) argue and I wanted to go to court and really advocate and be seen and be heard yes so that to me was just it just made perfect sense yeah and so still going on to that so being seen and being heard and being Mm -hmm. on your feet and being fabulous yes you are the first Latina to serve as one of our state's prosecutors is that right that's correct why is that important to you and to the community you serve it was important because I I did not seek that. Mm-hmm. I was having a, a tremendously fulfilling career as an assistant U.S. Mm-hmm. attorney. Never thought I would leave the office. And so when that opportunity came, in, initially I will confess to you that I was like, no, I'm good. I don't, <laughs> right. you know, I, I love being in AUSA yeah. and I don't, the thought of being the chief law enforcement official in a county was not something that I was aspiring to do. Mm. But But I had to really step back and I had really strong mentors say to me, you owe it to yourself to at least try yeah. and and see where this opportunity goes. And I'm so grateful that I did because although I feel like I grew up in the federal system and, and really revere my time as an AUSA, to be a county prosecutor is far more reaching impact. Mm-hmm. It's daily impact and you're involved not only in the supervision of, of cases and investigations, but policy work. So I, I am so glad, although I had a very improbable uh, path because I was appointed by Co- Governor Corzine, but I worked for then attorney, a U.S. attorney, Chris Christie. That was an interesting That's dynamic. That's what I was going to say. There's a cross, um, there's a cross there, there was to a cross happen there. there. Yeah, it was right. a very interesting time <laughs> because they were running against each other right. um, for governor. But but here here I am, 10 years later. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a long time. So what are, what, is, um, what are some of the projects that you're most proud of that this office is undertaking? Because, it, you know, and I know we could probably spend a lot of time on this, but if you had to pick a couple, what are the things that you, you think are, are sort of the, the top of what you are trying to achieve. Sure. Well, one of the proudest um, factors for me in terms of being a county prosecutor is that we run a very uh, reactive and proactive county. So Mm -hmm. by reactive, obviously, we deal with the investigations and the cases as they come to us. But because I have a very strong um, desire to serve proactively, Mm -hmm. we put on a lot of community forums we explain to the public as much as we can what we are doing because I am now the second most senior uh, county prosecutor after Prosecutor Lenahan in Salem. Oh, okay. Uh, it's me. Wow. I'm the second most senior. So, so to, Right on. That's nice. Yes. It's, yes. it's good. It's very good. Um, but having been at the table when we were talking about bail reform as a, ve- a real reality yeah. in New Jersey and what that meant. And not only explaining that to our office, but to the public mm-hmm. and to law enforcement. Yeah. What does what do all these changes mean? Um, is very fulfilling to be able to establish those community partnerships, to be able to go to schools. As you know, I have Montclair State University and William Patterson University in my jurisdiction. So to be able to explain to students and to the community as a whole 
what we are doing, how, what is the role of law enforcement, and what is the role of community partnerships, mm-hmm. educational institutions, the faith-based community? Yes. How do they play a role in what we're doing? Yeah, and that seems to be, I mean, you seem to be at the real forefront of what's happening around the nation, right? Yes. That That reaching out and, and creating those alliances. In fact, I, I want to say at the State Bar Annual Meeting a couple of years ago, John Farmer spoke yes. a great deal yes. about those in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's doing it now from the the education side of yes. the world but it is um it's really interesting so so tell me about that the importance and the value of of those community justice initiatives what how do you do it and you do it by explaining to people what the goal is mm-hmm. because sometimes we as policymakers we set out to do a certain thing mm. and it's important for us not to do not to work in silos or in isolation so for example in Passaic County if something is, if we're getting ready to implement something new or if we're being responsive to a community that says listen in this particular community we're having this issue for example we had a lot of our school personnel say to us sexting is becoming a problem Uh among young people because when i was young if you liked a boy you wrote him a note the note said do you like me yes no maybe (laughs) check the box and you're off to the races young people communicate in pictures so if they like someone it's for them it seems very natural to take a naked picture of themselves and send it yeah. not really understanding the consequences of that action right and so to be, so to be able to be responsive to schools when they say we are seeing this or we're looking at you know gang gang violence and gang membership is something that we always have to be very mindful of so to be able to be responsive that way is good before something mm-hmm. happens so that so that so that the, everyone has a certain role and a certain plan to address things as they develop. Right. Because then, right, I I mean, I assume that it prevents people from feeling like they're being swooped in upon, you know, and that gives them a role. They they have an ownership in in the resolution as opposed to just being told this is how it's going to be done. Absolutely. And and what happens is that we live in a society where people think that the justice system is very much law, what they see on television, law and order, or television shows. And... And so there is a certain impatience that happens when they don't have answers right away. Mm. And unfortunately, we cannot, nine times out of ten, solve our cases within an hour. <laughs> so, so, but, but the, that's the, the mentality of right. the community and yeah. that's the mentality of our jurors. Sure. So if, if there isn't a fingerprint or if the science is not there, then we have... We have um, a responsibility to explain why that is. And right. so it's important to I be want to know, how come you didn't just do the yeah, blue light why, thing? Like, why didn't why, you make that happen? Why don't right. you have a fingerprint? Yeah. Why, then something must be wrong. Right. And, and usually you don't have fingerprints. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, so there's an educational aspect to this job that I find very fulfilling. That's interesting. Did you, did you anticipate that? Did you anticipate that you would be, a, that you would be an educator? I, I didn't yeah. initially yeah. because at the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, while there are opportunities to, to, to be involved in panels and events, of course. not like here. Yeah. Not well, at like, the county Like you level. said, because it's not, it's not a policy-making position. Correct. And you're very much a part of that policy. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, it, and it's fulfilling to be able to arm community leaders with information. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. example, our faith-based community partnerships are are vital yeah. to the operations of this office because when something happens let's say there's a police involved shooting or there is something where the community 
is clamoring for answers mm -hmm. that we might not necessarily be in a position to give them right away. Mm -hmm. It helps to establish trust yeah. in the system when you have built partnerships during peacetime. Right. When something happens... That's not the time. That's not the time. Yeah. You're not ever going to make... No. Yeah. And there's certain things you can't disclose because you have to protect the information or the identity of witnesses. There's always a public safety concern, especially with violent crimes. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, for example, police-involved shootings or, or something of that magnitude... A lot of the information is fluid. Mm. So you, you know, we have to be very cognizant that you don't want to put out information that then later on turns out to not be accurate because then you, you, you damage the trust that you're working so hard to establish. Right. Or you've compromised something that Correct. you're trying to develop. Correct. You know, right. Or now you get, have witnesses that are now apprehensive yeah. because they begin to understand that they're a vital part of that case mm -hmm. and they may be called upon to testify. And that's not what they signed up for initially. Right. I, and how is, I mean, is, that is often, that's a theme that I guess you see both in the news media, but also played out in, um, in the entertainment world. You know, the, the reticence of witnesses sure. to take apart. How do you, is that something you see a lot of? We have to be very cognizant yeah. of it because um, law enforcement can provide certain protections yeah. for a limited period of time. Right. And so when someone is asked to, but, but the, but to our conversation, the community piece is so integral because witnesses make our cases. Right. And so as prosecutors, you don't get to just charge someone and then you talk about what happened. <laughs> right. That's not the way that works. You need witnesses. Yeah. So witnesses need to be able to feel comfortable mm -hmm. and confident that the system is going to protect them. And while some of those assurances can be done initially, they cannot go on indefinitely. Yeah. And that's just the reality of our system. But that also goes back to, or in my mind, it kind of also goes back to the work that you're doing at the front end, Correct. right? Is building a trust and a faith in the larger community yes. that the prosecutor's office is a partner and not just... There to just, you know, round everybody up. Yeah, Absolutely. right, right. And it, it helps the community understand what their role is because... Uh, my experience has been that when you're working a case and you're you're doing an investigation, people want answers. And so there's certain things that law enforcement can do, but there are other things that community partners mm -hmm. can do. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to sit with families, mm -hmm. to, to, to walk them through the process, to explain what, what grand jury looks like, what can they expect when they go to trial. And while we certainly have professionals on staff that will walk them through it, it's, sometimes it's, it, it's more uh, meaningful and more comforting if it comes from other partners. Sure, right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I think we feel that way in, yes. in a lot of parts of our lives. You know, you have, Passaic County is an interesting county, yes. right? It's, it is wonderfully and richly diverse. Absolutely. You have, I don't know how it stacks up Absolutely. against other counties mm -hmm. in the state, but I, I, once upon a time in a former life when I was a reporter, you know, I was always amazed by uh, every neighborhood I went to in Passaic County. Yes was wildly different from yes, the last. Absolutely. And so what is that like to to work with and and how does that work with, you know, your 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 efforts in the communities, your efforts in faith based organizations mm -hmm. and um and also I I'm wondering if we're in ha, the printer's turned on. <laughs> um it's a working office. And um you know, we're in a heightened time, right, yes. where diversity is um, celebrated in some ways and also has been weaponized, I think, in, Absolutely. Some, in some so, ways. Absolutely. So I grew up in Newark, yeah. which, is, which is also diverse, but 
Um, what I found is it is it is a tremendous opportunity to serve mm-hmm. because Passaic County is diverse in its geography because yes. we have cities and we have suburbs and we have the more rural areas. And for me, it poses the opportunity to really be invested in each part, each of part of our county, mm-hmm. and to be able to address issues as it pertains to different cities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and it is also um, very rich, not only in terms of the people that work here, but in terms of the faith mm-hmm. that is here. So, one of the opportunities that I have had, which has been interesting as a woman yeah. to have, is we have a very large. Middle Eastern population, yes. and we have mosques in our community. Yep. And any time that there is anything having to do with with a with a threat to a mosque, mm-hmm. I'm right front and center. Mm. I have physically gone to mosques. I have covered. I have taken my shoes off. I have worked walked into the mosque to explain and reiterate to that community that a threat to one is a threat to all. Yeah. So so to be able to go and to address them and to be respectful at the same yes. time um, is is always a good it's a good opportunity to learn. Yeah. So so not only do we have, you know, racial and ethnic diversity, we have diversity of geography yes. and but income diversity, you know. I income mean, diversity. Yeah, right. So, so it is. It's been incredible. You can find everything and anything in in Pasay County. Yeah. So, do you when when you have an incident that is faith like a faith based charge, whether mm-hmm. it's a- anti Muslim or yes. anti Jewish or you know, I mean, they, I, it can run the yes. it can run the board. How do how does how does the office get involved? The office gets involved by immediately contacting leadership within that community mm-hmm. and to explain that we are here, mm-hmm. we take any and all threats very seriously, mm-hmm. and explaining what the resources are. Because I've had the opportunity to serve as a municipal prosecutor, a deputy attorney general in the um, office of the New Jersey Attorney General, mm-hmm. as an assistant U.S. attorney and now as a county prosecutor, I leverage all of those experiences to be able to say to the community, when this particular thing happens, this is where you call. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of it, hearkening back to why I got into it in the first place, is really helping the public navigate where do they go for best access, best advocacy, and sometimes resources, which is why I'm tremendously proud of our Office of Victim Witness because it's explaining to victims and witnesses what is available to you when the absolute worst has happened in your life. So to be able to explain that is very rewarding. And a lot of times, you know, there are already systems in place, so there's not much for our office to do, but just to be able to reach out at that particular moment is tremendously comforting to communities that feel at risk or feel under attack. Yeah, yeah. Is it, I mean, how prevalent is it? It doesn't happen often, yeah. but but if it happens one time, it's one time too many. Yeah. Because we we keep intelligence in our office, we keep data um, in our office anytime that there's a bias incident, mm-hmm. and I say incident and not crime, yeah. um, because sometimes it could be, for example, we had we've had situations where you're at a mall. And two people are vying for a parking space, yes. and it's really the parking space that they're looking for. But they they will hurl some racial or religious slur yeah. to someone, and then that's referred to our office as a biased crime. Right. But really, the intent is that parking space. Right. So we spend a lot of time 
when we charge and when we don't charge, explaining to people what the thought process is yeah. so that they, they, their feelings of, of feel, feeling threatened are validated and they understand legally what our requirements are. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I know you've done an awful lot of work, and you alluded to it earlier on, on gang-related. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure. Um, gang, gang violence and also all of our work with opioids. Okay. Um, we are doing that earlier and earlier with young people. Is that right? Yes. If you wait until they're in high school, you've missed the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, we have spoken to students as, as young as mi- middle, middle school about the dangers of both. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so with, with gang violence, we see, we, we have had um, seminars and we speak to gang violence and, and speak to parents about what to look for mm-hmm. in terms of when a, a student might be uh, being recruited mm-hmm. so that the parents are on alert. And we talk to to school personnel because mm-hmm. they're with students the majority of the of day. Course, so right. what to look for, and we don't. And we also have special programs just for girls because mm. girls are are uh, recruited into the gangs as well. Mm. And as far as opioids, we have unfortunately it, it runs the gamut. Um, we ha- we we hear about fentanyl, the opioids, obviously heroin. But we also had a very large K2 Spice case. And K2 Spice, a lot of people think, oh, it's marijuana. It's synthetic marijuana, so that's not that harmful. But what we found in our case is that sometimes K2 Spice is laced with other other chemicals that people don't know about, from ammonia to horse tranquilizers. So so you don't know what's in there, so it's important for us not to dismiss it as, oh, it's just synthetic marijuana, it's not that it's not bad, right. um, to really explain to people what we're finding. Yeah, that's interesting. And do you, um, and how do how do kids respond? I mean, in terms of what you've seen by activity, is, is opioid use holding steady, going down, going up, and, and gang involvement? Mm-hmm. I, what, what kinds of trends are it, you seeing? You know, it, it really depends. It flows. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we make sure that we are explaining, and sometimes when I first started, we, we would see a lot of activity up county, West Milford, Ringwood. But they have implemented programs, where the community programs, where they're really explaining to parents, to students, um, and it's so prevalent. Yes. Unfortunately... We we probably all of us probably know one person or someone who has been affected by an overdose, mm-hmm. and and the look of the user, we we spend a lot of time talking about that because I think people have preconceived notions about who's using heroin and who's not, yeah. and so one of the things that we do and I'm very proud of in this office is we talk about bias, we talk about gender stereotypes, we talk about. Um, racial injustices and what does it mean to be a prosecutor but to be socially conscious Mm -hmm. as well and so those are not easy discussions because when you raise those questions people can sometimes immediately become defensive I'm not a racist or I'm not this or I'm not that but we really do a lot of talking about unconscious bias yeah and and so I think that that helps and even when I can tell you when I first started going around talking about opioid abuse a lot of a lot of our suburban um, communities were like, "Oh no, that's a Patterson issue. That doesn't happen here." The data, but the data shows us different. Yeah, the data shows us that it's everywhere. Yeah. And issues. I mean, the prescription or sure, on the street. Like, absolutely, it, it's, it's shocking how how 
deeply into the fiber Absolutely. of our communities it is. And, and what I say to people is no one wakes up and says, I want to be a heroin addict. But there are certain pathways that we can see. So with young people, it may, it may begin with a sports injury. Mm. And so now the state has done a lot in, control, in controlling and monitoring, yeah. you know, how opioids are prescribed, but it could be as simple as a sports injury. Right. And now when that prescription is, is, is no longer and you can't refill it, the, and the pain is still there, people are looking to satisfy that pain. Yeah. And, and the stage is set yeah. uh, very easily. It's amazing. My mom is a retired nurse, and she worked in a treatment facility for years and years and years. And she said, you know, like the people who came in, it wasn't, you know, it was pharmacists, it sure. was kids, Dentist. it was, den- it was, yeah. you know, people with white collar jobs, yes. and you know, it yes. was not like, oh, it's just, yes, you know, people on the edges of society. Correct. Was, you know, that Correct. is um, insidious. Correct. So, what are um, what is what was the most surprising thing you learned about law enforcement while serving while serving here? I mean, I know you have sort of a career on on that side of it, mm-hmm. but as the as the prosecutor, is there anything that you come along uh, come across in the years and said, "Phew, I did not see that coming." Um, that is a great question. Um, you know, I when I think back on my career, one of the things I don't know that I'm. <laughs> I can tell you I haven't been surprised by much. Um, sometimes I think what what we lose sight of the fact is that people, whether it's community or whether it's law enforcement, the, by and large, they want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so with law enforcement, for example, we have tremendous partnerships with them. I mean, we work with them day in and day out. And just to be able to sit and listen to their willingness to make it better, their yeah. openness. So I think there may be a perception that sometimes, you know, police are stuck in their ways and, and there's only one way to do it. But I have not found that to be yeah. the case in, in Passaic County. Now, that may be as a result of partnerships that started off, you know, f- uh, with a certain baseline of respect and this is how we're going to get this thing done right. Okay. Um, but but they have s- tremendous experience and their goal is not to arrest everyone. That's not the goal. And I think that's the perception of law enforcement. I think so. That they just want to arrest, you know, or they're lazy or they're criminals or they're, and there's some of that without question. But by and large, law enforcement um, officers and people involved in the system, they want to make it better yeah. because they're part of the communities too. That certainly seems to be your mission. To yes. To make it better. To make it better. And it's hard. This is, we see heartbreaking cases. Uh, I have never cried as much as I've cried in a job than in this job. Is that right? Because you really see the worst of the worst. And you also see people who really rally just the resiliency of victims the resiliency of officers that do child abuse cases that do homicide cases shootings after shootings after shootings i'm a career prosecutor and i can tell you that i'm still not used to that and i don't ever want to become used to that i was going to say i mean i can't imagine the point at which you become numb to something as terrifying correct and if and if that happens it's time for a change Because the mission is just that important. Yeah. And, but there's a lot of opportunities to really reach young people, mm-hmm. to really give a perspective on, uh, from someone who's actually doing it. Yeah. Um, so th- that, it, it's still fresh for me that way. And even though it's hard work, it's impact work every day. Mm-hmm. And I love it. It's exactly why I became a, law, a lawyer in the first place. Is that right? Absolutely. That's wonderful. Absolutely. That's great. 
So that is today's episode. I thank you so much for tuning in and sticking around. As always, please, please, please follow us on social media. We're on all of the channels you can think of. And if you have ideas or suggestions uh, for me, for podcast ideas, or just generally, you can shoot me a line at askthenjsba at njsba.com. All right, see you next time.